You can't beat the sound of a contented cat. That's why veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Because he knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. And our premium cat food is designed to satisfy even the most finicky eaters. For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition. Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cosy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. After weeks of negotiations today, we have made a decisive breakthrough. The Windsor Framework delivers free-flowing trade within the whole United Kingdom. And it safeguards sovereignty for the people of Northern Ireland. Well, that's it. We have a new Brexit deal. First we had the backstop, then came the Northern Ireland Protocol, and now we have the Windsor Framework. Northern Ireland is in the unbelievably special position, unique position in the entire world in having privileged access, not just to the UK home market, which is enormous, but also the European Union single market. Nobody else has that, no one. What exactly does it entail? And will it be enough for the DUP to go back to Stormont? Uh, We need to look at the legal text. We need to get legal advice on that. We need to make our own assessments and come to a considered view on this. As I have said, um, uh, I hope that we can do that uh, within a reasonable time frame. uh, And we will not be rushed. We want to make the right decision for Northern Ireland. To try and answer those massive questions, we have assembled an ensemble cast. Writer, commentator and politics lecturer David McCann Writer, commentator and lawyer Sarah Crichton Our Northern Ireland editor Sam McBride And from our business team Alison McGee Sarah Crichton, David McCann, welcome to the studio The catchly named and bizarrely named I think Windsor Framework uh, It will come in place If that's the right way of describing it Of the Northern Ireland Protocol So I think for the listeners, because we have listeners in other parts of the world, and for listeners here, let's try and remind ourselves what is, what was the Northern Ireland Protocol? Who's up for that? I'll have a go with that. So um, when the United Kingdom left the European Union, there was a withdrawal agreement um, to allow stacks from the European Union, which included the Northern Ireland Protocol, which was um, a set of rules to operate specifically for Northern Ireland to mitigate the land border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, um, in which Northern Ireland remained aligned to some um, customs union rules. Effectively, some of the customs code of the European Union still applied for goods, um, which allowed goods to flow freely across the border. But the, the end result with that was that meant there was a border down the Irish Sea between Northern Ireland and Britain. So some goods, when they come from Britain into Northern Ireland, have to be have to be checked at the ports. Um, so the protocol was introduced, um, but it wasn't fully implemented. I suppose I don't want to go too far, but um, it, it 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 hasn't fully been implemented because of the political drama around it. But in effect, it creates a, a customs border down the Irish Sea. In, in simplistic terms, yes. In simplistic terms. Yeah. So, 
David, I'm looking at you now in equally simplistic terms. What is the Windsor Framework? Well, the Windsor Framework is essentially uh, there to amend what uh, what Sarah has just outlined. Um, uh, basically, it uh, gets rid of some of those internal barriers that existed within the UK internal market. So things like medicines, for example, which was causing so much angst amongst unionists and, of course, was the first real stumbling block when we had the, the, the threat uh, to trigger uh, Article 16 by the European Commission um, uh, over, over issues like that. So the, the Windsor framework is set to basically eliminate some of the internal barriers that, that have existed, uh, you know, things around agriculture, which again was another issue that was causing angst. So the British government have re, uh, entered negotiations with the European Commission, the various iterations of British governments um, that we've had over the past uh, number of months and, uh, and, and years, and basically this is what Rishi Shinak has has arrived at, which is which is the new Windsor framework, and essentially this is what they will hope, uh, subject to passing the House of Commons, uh, will govern the arrangements uh, that keeps the border on the island of Ireland open, but subjects Northern Ireland to less uh, European uh, regulations and also uh, keep uh, fr- fr- frees up the East West market within the UK. There's so much to talk about this, and we're so. Uh, it's such early days and no one I've spoken to so far has actually managed to read the entire thing and everybody's working through this. I suppose we can look at a couple of the details in a second or two, but for me, reading reading about this and watching the TV and maybe I'm being naive, Rishi Sunak seems to be a winner here. He seems to be have come across very strong. He seems to have wrong conf- uh, concessions out of the EU that other people said were impossible. Yeah, it it, it's, it, it was very unexpected. You know, um, people always said that they couldn't, the European Union would never do this. And I mean, obviously, I mean, I think Sam had written a really good article about this, about, about the, 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 the Windsor framework. You know, there's certain things about it that the government maybe has embellished it a little, but there's no doubt this is a dramatic change, particularly the Stormont break. I mean, that, that was kept under wraps for weeks and weeks. That was, a, the, as they say, the rabbit. They pulled a rabbit out of a hat at the last minute, really, which is what everybody really is talking about. And that was really, really unexpected that they managed to do this. And I mean, it, it's it's he's blowing Boris Johnson out of the water. Boris Johnson was trying to, you know, mess around caused trouble and at Boris is now going to be quiet and you know the ERG you know they were, there was talk of a rebellion of you know 100 MPs I think wasn't there something like what 18 turned up to an ERG meeting so he seems to have and it's particularly in Britain you know um, for his own party absolutely pulled a whopper and you volunteered yourself uh, for the next question, sorry, <laughs> sorry, David, but what is the storm and break? The storm and break, um, what a name, <laughs> is essentially it's a mechanism where the Northern Ireland M- MLAs can get involved with the, with the process of, 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 of within the Windsor framework. So if a new EU regulation is introduced um, and MLAs are concerned about it, 30 of them can come together, sign a, dec- a declaration or something, and they can go to the British government and say, we are concerned about this. They have to show that it's not trivial. They have to show that um, it would have a substantial impact on people's lives. And then the British government takes it to the joint committee. And then the British government and the EU can have to agree before it's implemented. But the European Union can take measures against the UK if, if the UK doesn't implement it. So it, it's, it, it addresses what was called the democratic deficit under the protocol. If it walks like a petition of concern 
And it sounds like a petition of concern. Is it a petition of concern, David? Yes, uh, essentially because it's the same uh, framework. Um, there is some speculation that there could be a vote uh, uh, in the Northern Assembly. Now, of course, that is slightly problematic in some respects because one, there's a lot of parties here that would like to reform the petition of concern, but if that, that's now linked to an international agreement, that becomes much harder in practice to actually go and reform in a domestic sense. The other thing it does, if it's a cross-community vote, well, we just had, we all talked about the Alliance surge. Their votes don't count in cross-community votes. It is the vote of the nationalist designation, the unionist designation coming together to make that decision. Now, the only thing is, is that no single party can call a petition of concern by themselves anymore. The DEP have 25 seats, so they really need the Ulster Unionists to come in with them, with their nine, to get above 30. Jim Allister and Alex Easton would not be enough. That only gets them 27. Likewise, conversely, Sinn Féin couldn't do this by themselves. They need the SDLP to row in behind them as well. So no one, people talk about a veto there is no single party veto. It's not like the days before 2017 where the DUP had 38 MLAs and could do these things by themselves. They need, basically you need the two main parties of both designations basically signing up to actually trigger some. And even if they do, the British government doesn't have to take that up. I mean, remember Stormont withheld consent for the withdrawal agreement. Oh, that was a bipartisan policy. I think every MLA in the chamber voted for it. And Westminster just said, yeah, thanks, note that, and they still pressed ahead. So, you know, the, the, the British government could, you know, these votes could be triggered and the British government could look at it and go, no, sorry, that, that doesn't meet our threshold. We're, we're going to press on and that could still happen. Green lanes and red lanes. Uh, I, I, I've been... I've been getting them confused. Which one is which, Sarah? Which one's which? So the green lane is for goods going between Britain and Northern Ireland. So that means when goods, uh, yeah, so if goods are coming into from Britain and Northern Ireland, that means that they are subject to less paperwork effectively. So it means that they don't, I think it was something like 80, was it 80 questions or something they had to answer or the results, the forms that they had to fill are going to be drastically reduced. Um, there's going to be, I think that if you're a trusted trader as well, I think you can go through that lane and it's, it's a lot less onerous. Goods in the red lane then are goods that are at risk of going into the EU down to the Republic and they have to produce lots more paperwork so there will still be checks for those at the ports. I think for many people in Northern Ireland, they will, very few people will sit down and read this document. What they'll be doing is listening to their political leaders um, for guidance on this and then conversely the political leaders will be listening to them for guidance to see if it's a good idea. Now, We've been building up to this question. Uh, will this be enough for the DUP to allow Stormont to come back to life? Now, before I bring you both in on that, just before you came into the studio, I spoke to our Northern Ireland editor, Sam McBride, on this question. And I think we can hear from Sam now. All we can say right now is that the DUP have not rejected this. And that is not insignificant. This seems pretty clearly to cross some of their red lines. There is still an Irish sea border, even though it's much more porous. It's much um, softer than it previously would have been. It still involves Northern Ireland being bound by some EU laws, as was always going to be the case in these circumstances. But some senior DUP figures said that was a red line for them. And it really doesn't do very much, if anything, to change the role of the, the ECJ, the European Court of Justice, which again, for key DUP figures, including Geoffrey Donaldson, has been cited as a really important problem here. So the fact that they are considering this, I think, shows that they are very open to compromise here. Jeffrey Donaldson has always been believed to be the sort of person who wants back into Stormont. Lots of the people around him want back into Stormont. The key thing here is, can he sell this? And the real 
The real problem here, I think, and quite a surprising problem so far, is that one of the major internal um, critics in a questioning sense at this point is Nigel Dodds, the former deputy leader of the DUP. We've also got people like Ian Paisley Jr., Sammy Wilson being more openly hostile to this. But the really significant person there is Dodds. He is not somebody who has a history of making things awkward for, for the party leader. He is somebody who is at the heart of the party, who straddles lots of its various factions. If he's really unhappy with this, that is a problem for Jeffrey Donaldson. Now, can he bring him round? Um, Nigel Dawes has a reputation for being indecisive. Does ultimately Jeffrey Donaldson say, look, stuff it, we're going in, that's it. What are you going to do? I'm not sure, but I think that there, there is a massive question here over whether Jeffrey Donaldson has the power to push this through. And the big issue at the back of his mind, his first electoral test as leader is coming in May. Does he want to do this before then? Can he afford to leave this until after then? I don't think he really knows that right now, but the more comfortable position for him is a sudden move in Parliament by the Prime Minister to push this through to a legislative vote in that he can quite credibly right now say, look, this is far too soon. I haven't read the half of this. We need to get experts to look at this. We need to talk to business. We need to understand this. You guys lied to us about the protocol. You're not going to do this again with this. We're going to take our time. That would be a sort of chest beating exercise for him, but also be very reasonable. Um, does he do that um, in six weeks time? Is it possible to do that in six weeks time? I don't think it's possible to do it in two or three months time. So the longer this goes on, the harder it is for him to delay and buy time. I haven't looked over the detail and then he went and at the same level as you have, but in many ways it does seem that this David of a of a, of a party, this tiny party here, has wrung an awful lot of concessions out of Goliath. Surely there's an opportunity here for the DUP to sell this as a victory, or could they possibly seize defeat from the jaws of this victory? What is really clear here is that the people who said the protocol couldn't be changed, this was it, it's as good as it gets, let's implement it, let's implement it rigorously, as some people said, that stuff has been shown to be balderdash, basically. But does the DUP have to choose either to say yes or to say no? I think there's possibly a third way here where the DUP to use Boris Johnson's term about Brexit, will have their cake and eat it or try to. And they will say, look at all this stuff we've got for you. We held out. We acted tough. We faced down all of these critics who said we shouldn't do this. And we got all these things. But it's not enough. We're not happy with that. And so therefore, they may ultimately say we're rejecting elements of this. We don't sign up to this. And therefore, they're not, if you like, shackled with um, some of the elements of this, which as divergence goes on over future years is going to be a problem for them. So therefore, I think they might say, you know what? We're pragmatists here and they might actually go back into Stormont while loudly grumbling about this, while kicking up lots of dust, while um, telling people how terribly unhappy they are at aspects of it. And in, in that circumstance, I think Jeffrey Donaldson might be able to say this Stormont break mechanism, which is new in this, was something that wasn't there when he pulled down Stormont and that it would be a, almost a dereliction of his duty if he didn't use this, get his, get his hand on that break. Well, that was Sam McBride. He says the DUP are mulling over this. They have a lot to do. 
What do you think, David? Yeah, I think look, the, the DP are going to take their time on this. Um, uh, I think, again, it's going to be shades of the way Sinn Féin actually uh, made their decision on policing after St Andrews. The, the agreement was in the November. Sinn Féin didn't make a formal decision on that until the January of 2007. Um, so I think they'll do the same thing. Sinn Féin, of course, did those roadshows. The, the, the DP, I was reminded the other the other night, did something similar with um, uh, by putting brochures in newspapers and getting unionist voters to respond back to them about what they wanted to do. I think Jeffrey's going to do that. I think he's going to. I think he's going to consult with members up and down in Northern Ireland. I think he'll talk to be. He'll be talking to representatives. He'll be talking to, to to sector groups as well, because he's going to want to get this right. Remember, the DP have had their fingers burned so many times on the European issue. The DP went back into government in January 2020 with the belief that whatever would eventuate from the from the withdrawal agreement wouldn't harm Northern Ireland's internal position within the UK, and that turned out not to be the case. And there was a lot of internal brawling within the DUP over that miscalculation, and uh, and it caused a lot of turmoil within unionism as well. So, so Jeffrey Donaldson's going to want to make sure he doesn't do that again. So, I think the DP will be taking their time on this because they want to get it right and they'll want to be teasing out aspects of the agreement now. The only other counterbalance um, with that, of course, is that there will be a parliamentary timetable on these things as well. And Rishi Sunak has, has made it clear that the agreement is not up for renegotiation. And he's obviously going to want to press on because the British government has got a budget now, has got a budget coming this month. They've also, uh, a general election is within their sights within the next 15 to 17 months as well. So the agenda will be moving on. You also have European elections next year uh, that the European Commission will be worrying about too. So the DP do have a window of opportunity here. Um, uh, and I think and, and I think that they're wise to take it to keep their base on board. So what we're saying is here, for the listener at home, we'll not see Stormont back next week and we could be waiting a while before the DUP come back with their answer. Sarah? Yeah, I think David's right. I think they will take their time to consider this and have a think about this, um, given that they're trying to balance very delicate um, party views on this matter, but look, you know, we we need government in Northern Ireland back now. You know, I I think they can take their time. There's only so much time. I think they're going to be given maybe by the public before it's going to be expected um, for them to give a decision. You know, with the health services teetering on collapse. People need local government now. But we have people like Sammy Wilson, Nigel Dodds, Ian Paisley already casting a lot of doubt. And let's get this out of the way. Jim Allister, um, it's a no from Jim. We're not surprised by that. We don't really have to go into that. He's he's a consistent person uh, and we, we cannot take that away from him. But from a unionist point of view, um, yes, there's a lot of principle at stake here with uh, and there was with the protocol. And, you know, from a unionist point of view, as Ian Pacey said, this mightn't be there yet, although I don't really see, we don't, no one sees any uh, real opportunity for further negotiations at this point. But surely Stormont not being there is all, would also be a massive blow to the union. It would be a huge blow to the union. I mean, where do they go, you know, stand in Westminster and be a tiny, tiny minority? You know, the, 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 the DUP knows that when devolution disappears that they lose out. Um, every time devolution has disappeared, something has happened in Westminster that they didn't like. Something's happened to Westminster that I think I've quite liked, obviously, but that they have not liked. Um, they know that that when devolution goes, people's faith in devolution will go. It will accelerate activists' calls for a border poll. They know that it will push people towards parties like the Alliance Party. They know it will drift away from unionism. Um, they know a lot of young people watching this, you know, unfold less likely to be unionists, less likely to vote for unionist parties, given another 10, 15 years, this is a ticking time bomb. 
Um, so if devolution goes, it's going to damage Northern Ireland further and then damage the union. And you know, you can talk about the constitutional aspects of the of the Windsor framework. Um, you can talk about the constitutional aspects of the protocol. Um, you know, fundamentally, the union relies on consent, and I don't know if they're going to get consent if they continue down the path that they're going. David, is it an exaggeration to talk of a of any potential split in the DUP? Um, I think it's an exaggeration to talk about anyone leaving the party over that. Don't forget, the the, the party has gone over much more uh, prevalent ideological humps than that before, you know, going into a power-sharing executive, then going into government with Sinn Féin. And the party, apart from Tim Allister, um, stayed together. I, I see no reason why, why why that shouldn't be the case. I mean, the DEP is still the main unionist show in town. They still speak for a majority of the of unionist voters. Uh, even in their weakened state, they are still the main um, body of unionist opinion um, out there. Um, I think, look, the, the, the thing that Jeffrey's going to want to look out for is the opinion of people like Nigel Dodds, because because again, he is a for, is a well-respected former deputy leader of the party, was once tipped to be a future leader of the party. And I think his opinion will carry some weight. But I do also note that there was a very nuanced and encouraging response from Peter Robinson, who is also very respected within the party, former first minister. Um, uh, so again, look, there's going to be a variety of different opinions, but... You know, it's not unusual for there to be divides between Westminster teams and Assembly teams within Unionist parties. This has been the case going back decades. Um, again, and that's very the, the very simple reason for that is the Assembly team depend on Stormont being up and running. The Westminster team do not. Uh, Westminster teams do typically tend to be a bit more hawkish than, than the Assembly teams. But it is worth noting in just the battle of numbers within the party, there are 25 MLAs, there are eight MPs, and there are a handful of Lords. So the equilibrium does always tend to come back to the to, to the assembly team. And I think that as Sarah was pointing out there, I think most unionist leaders from Jeffrey Donaldson to people like Peter Robinson know that Stormont is the best place for them. And that the only, that it, it, essentially, as one DUP always said to me, um, the only people, the, the the only people, the unionist people can count on to defend their interests are themselves. You know, they can't really staff that out to Westminster. Sarah, there's another character in this story. We've mentioned Jim Allister. And I know that we understand in the media that the loyalist blogger and activist Jamie Bryson has a lot of influence in unionism in its modern form. And some people would go as far as to say that, well, he clearly has the ear of the DUP. And some people would go as far as to say he's a massive influence on the, on the DUP. Is that the case? And are, could we really be watching Jimmy Bryson's Twitter account to see what's going to happen. I have to think about how I'm going to say this. Um, I've no desire to be part of the Jimmy Bryson soap opera. <laughs> Let me be clear before I say what I'm about to say. Um, it is quite clear that yes, that um, Jimmy, Jim, and Jeffrey have formed a wee a wee band, you know, and they get on very well. And yes, you know, it seems to be that they are towing. Um, the line put forward by Jamie Bryson and Jim Allister and very often lines that you will see on Jamie Bryson's Twitter account um, when I see it um, will be touted by the DUP or DUP members. I think that's a very sad state of affairs for the DUP. I think that's pretty embarrassing, but that's just my personal point of view. Um, but yeah, I, I, he, he he clearly speaks to a certain uh, section of the voters. You can't deny that. You can't deny that that, that um, he has influence. You can't deny that a lot, there's a section of voters that will agree with him. You know, he's never stood for, for elected office, but you can't deny that. Um, you know, a lot of people pretend that he's just a, a one-man band. He's not. 
Um, and definitely, I do think, you know, um, I've read today, you know, that there, there's going to be um, a report commissioned by the Centre for the Union, that group that, that's been set up. I, I have no doubt that they will they will listen and read that as well. But I sincerely hope that the DUP think about the bigger picture. And, you know, it's not just about battles on Twitter. It's not just about short term goals and, you know, poking your opponents in the eye and, you know, aggressive, um, patriarchal type of unionism. I mean, I mean, I'm asking for the whole unionism to change completely, aren't it? But you just I sincerely hope that they think outside the box that they have put themselves into. Well, you've just set yourself up for another podcast. Oh. There, so no <laughs> doubt about that. Um, well, we cannot sit, David, and only gauge the reaction of the unionist parties. Looking at the statements coming in, everyone else seems to broadly welcome this. But surely, and perhaps I'm falling into the trap of the zero-sum game, if, if unionism has won new concessions, has nationalism lost something? Well, look, I suppose the real risk here for the nationalist parties is that this agreement and the potential of dual market access pacifies that, uh, Sarah was talking about kind of some younger people who may become interested in the New Ireland project, that this maybe pacifies them uh, and this maybe uh, creates a new buzz and maybe could set off an economic boom in Northern Ireland and who knows, maybe the place becomes viable economically for the first time. You know, I know I know we're down here on the uh, on the water side of the lagon. Who knows, this could become like the new IFSC of Dublin, you know, glass towers everywhere and, and whole new jobs being created all over the place. And that, if that does potentially happen, yeah, I mean, that it, there is that risk. But, you know, it's it's a calculation in that, you know, nationalism needs Stormont to, to get a border poll. There's no way of doing that without 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 using the assembly and using an executive as a, as, as a way to do that. Um, so there is a risk in this. But look, at the end of the day, it's up to it's up to both sides to put put their best and most convincing foots forward and uh, and see who they can win over um, uh, to to make that case. But yeah, sure, I saw an article today. Apparently, there are many U.S. firms who for, who within the past two days have been scouting investment opportunities in Northern Ireland. So again, we'll wait and see whether that eventuates. But uh, but yeah, I mean that that that's something that could happen. That's, you know, it's one of the, it's the flip side of the protocol and on the Windsor framework, you know, I, I think I am, I'm a protocol, what we say, protocol pragmatist, but, you know, every time I hear about, yes, big firms thinking of circling the drains and looking at Northern Ireland, and I mean, obviously we need investment in Northern Ireland and we need development, but, you know, I, I don't want us to become Dublin. We do not need to copy Dublin. You know, um, I work for housing charity in my day job and we do not need, we are already at Dublin in terms of housing levels. We do not need Dublin's turbo capitalist neoliberalism we do not need it so I, I you know I, I hope that the Windsor framework brings more you know prosperity in Northern Ireland and David's right you know hopefully that will happen we'll, we'll be Kate the calls for Irish Indy but you know we, we do not need we do not need to open ourselves up to to international disaster capitalists and again <laughs> that's another podcast <laughs> so we'll get that one in the dairy now I didn't ask either of you when I was asking you to come in because I asked you both to come in to make this podcast seconds after the news of the Windsor framework emerged. So I have no idea of your stance on it. So before anyone complains, um, it was impossible to achieve balance. Uh, I may do that in the future. But what do you both think of, of this framework? Is it a good thing? On paper, at the minute, and again, a lot of stuff is out in uh, is up in the air. We'll see how this is practically implemented. 
Um, on paper, look, I think it seems to be a decent effort from the British government. I think the British government can be compared to what could, they could have got out of it. I think they have moved the European Union uh, a good way um, down the pitch. Um, so I can see Rishi Sunak is, is happy with the agreement. Um, but the practical implementation of it, again, just because of what we saw with the protocol and what we've seen with so many aspects of Brexit, the law of unintended consequences, you know, things that can seem fairly innocuous now. Um, you know, who who ever thought that a that a DERA check post could ever have become such a controversial issue three years ago? And look and look at what and look at what happened. So we'll wait and see. Um, but I, I, at the minute, look, I, I think Rishi Sunak can be happy. Um, I think the Europeans can be happy. Ultimately, they're going to want to move on to get a more long-lasting agreement with the UK. And I think that this is just another step in that. Sarah? I think, yeah, you know, I, I, I like the storm and break on the like on paper. You know, I think I want to read more about it because, um, as David says, sometimes you read something, you think, oh, that sounds good. And then somebody looks at it and goes, oh, hang on a minute. But I think there was a democratic deficit to address. I, I think it's good that we will have more of a say. I think... I wish they would do a lot more to involve civil society, but I, I think this is a step forward. I like that checks are reduced. I like the green lane and the red lane idea. Um, obviously, you know, my, my, my first choice would be I wish the whole UK would align more closely with the EU because then we could ditch the we could keep the border open and we could ditch we could ditch this completely. But I don't. I think that's unrealistic to expect that. So I'm cautiously welcome, but I want to know more. Before we go, let's hear from Alison McGee from our business team with some initial reaction from the business community to the Windsor Framework. I would say the Windsor Framework has been broadly welcomed across the business community. I haven't really heard any negative comments from the sector about it at all. Um, obviously, like everyone else, the business sector is looking for more detail sort of companies and um, sector bodies will be looking into what exactly it, it will mean for them, um, looking into the detail of the various documents. Over the coming days, I suppose what a lot of people will be thinking about is hopefully it's implying a decreased level of paperwork, but how much will that actually be reduced? You know, will it become much more practical for them to trade with Great Britain is the big question. Um, I think one of the big things is across the business community, people have not necessarily wanted the protocol, but they always understood that some kind of mechanism for trading had to be there. And certainly if the Windsor framework can make it more workable for everyone, it's recognised as a good thing. Alison, Sam, Sarah and David, thank you very much. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. The sound design was by Graham Davidson. The clips you heard were from the BBC, Sky and Reuters. You can't beat the sound of a contented cat. That's why veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Because he knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. And our premium cat food is designed to satisfy even the most finicky eaters. For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition. Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland.